passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It is Wednesday, October the 18th. I am John Pollock, joined as always by Brandon Thurston for Hello. The, always, the always busy uh, Wednesday, although not as busy as uh, last week where we were anxiously no. awaiting numbers to be disseminated. Uh, I see a whole lot less interest in NXT numbers that will drop in the next hour this week as compared to last. Yeah, I'm only using one computer today uh, to, to do today's uh, podcast. So yeah, I don't, I'm sure it'll be a lot less interest. Um, will it be near the number that they did last week probably lower probably a lot lower well i mean it's um you know it's a it's a marathon you can't you can't can't judge one week brandon this is the long game that they're playing we are going to be getting into uh well nxt may come up over this next hour but i promise you topic that will come up panini and i know a lot of people we're gonna have some some peak viewership today of all you panini fanatics you talk about the the tribalism between WWE and AEW in the trading card industry. It's Panini and Fanatics. And we have a great guest today, Brandon, to break this down to make sense of not one, but two suits that we have. Correct? Yes. I think they're being consolidated according to a filing that just dropped like an hour ago. Um, I, I, I would like to ask our, our guest, Paul Lesko, about it, but whether the terminology would be correct to say that they are. One is countersuing the other, um, but there are there are two dockets on court listener. Yes, because WWE is trying to end their contract, terminate their contract with Panini, their trading card licensee, and probably give that license to Fanatics. But Panini is suing them to keep the contract in place. So that's what's happening. The 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 trading card frenzy. Uh, we will we will get into Paul, who is a. Uh... Great guest and someone that can uh, break all of this down in a, in a pretty entertaining fashion, I think, as well. So for all of you legal heads out there, strap on a seatbelt and, and get ready as we go down the uh, the Panini Fanatics battle. But we have uh, lots to discuss from the past couple of weeks, as or past week, I should say, uh, where we talk about who other than Vince McMahon. He has had quite the last seven days, Brandon. And as you have taken in all of the media information that has been out there. Ari Emanuel, who seems like he has been given Tony Khan a run for his money when it comes to public statements and whether they have been uh, beneficial or not. Where does Vince McMahon sit right now? What is what is Vince McMahon's position in TKO slash WWE? What what have you been able to, to glean from the past week? Well, according to a Sports Illustrated article from Justin Barrasso, his job is now to oversee the TV deals. No more creative, reportedly. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, but that, that appears to be Ari Emanuel's decision, which is consistent with his, his previous management style to separate the duties clearly. Yeah. Um, Ari Emanuel, I think gained, uh, I've got to say 
what was the more newsworthy conference of the past month? Was it code or this Bloomberg conference? I feel like there's a whole like separate industry now of these conferences that are starting. It's given, uh, I, I think we've got to get on the ground floor of this, Brandon. I think we could, we could launch our own conference in the next. That's the, clearly the way to go if you are a, a media personality out there. But I, I think that like, this Bloomberg conference certainly generated quite a bit of a interest in our world. Yeah. Well, we had Ari Emanuel and this is with Lucas Shaw, who's, Whose work we've talked about before here. Uh, he's done some reporting on the, uh, the WB, this, the sale. Um, we, we had Ari Emanuel on the first day. We was just a two day conference. We had Ari Emanuel, um, saying a lot of things that were newsworthy to our world, but including going after the CEO of CAA, Creative Art- Artist Agency, which is another rival talent agency, Ryan Lord, uh, he was going after. Um, basically t- talking about a lawsuit that has been filed against CAA, against Disney, against Miramax, uh, related to the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault allegations. Um, and they're, so sh- so they're being sued civilly in civil court. And Ari Emanuel said things to the effect of there should be an investigation. That those executives should go on uh, voluntary leave. Um, and then Brian Lord came back at him the next day um, saying... You know, it's uh, basically saying th- things to the effect of, you know, I don't know if he's getting his advice on, on women's issues from the people that he's brought into his company, not naming them, but alluding to um, Dana White, Vince McMahon, and I suppose as well, Conor McGregor, you could throw in there. Yeah, who um, actually, there was just a story that just dropped today from, from TMZ that the criminal charges that Conor McGregor um, was facing from an incident at a Miami Heat game earlier this year uh, will not be moving forward. He will not face criminal charges for this alleged, uh, well, he was being accused of a sexual assault. That's a, a a sidebar note. But yes, it was Ari Emanuel who was stating, you know, we we are the company that has morals. We yes. have the better morals. So um that's that's certainly a, an argument. I don't know if uh, I would be attaching myself if I was uh, in, in this industry at all. The the week that Ari Emanuel is uh, propping up that uh, we're going into Saudi Arabia. It's just that simple. Uh, yeah, a nice fee for it, he said. Didn't, didn't say how much, but a nice fee. Yeah, I mean, he's not. Uh, are, are we about world change? No, we're we're getting a check for this. Um, but yes, he certainly set himself up for for this return volley. If if for nothing else, I mean, we 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 somewhat are a little jaded, I think, Brandon, when it comes to you know, do do the Dana Whites and the Vince McMahon's of the world do they really hold much uh, weight outside of the world? Are they held to anything? Well, it turns out in in a back and forth volley between uh, moral superiority, yes, they can be pawns in arguments when it comes up to people. They are knowledgeable of the actions of Vince McMahon and Dana White. When when it comes to uh, throwing something back at Ari Emanuel's face. Yeah, I guess, I guess it, the, the merger, now the fact that WWE is part of this merged company with UFC and, and is overseen by Endeavor's CEO, who's also the CEO of TKO, um, it just pulls, I guess, to, to a little bit of an extent, and UFC for that matter, it, more into a mainstream world where you're connected to these big talent agency executives, uh, including Ari Emanuel, who are you know just more a part of the, the wider media and entertainment world. Yes. It, the Hollywood reporter also had a, a pretty in-depth story on, on this, uh, this whole back and forth between uh, CAA and Ari Emanuel as well. And, and bringing up naming the names of Dana White and Vince McMahon to connect the dots for anyone who was uh, maybe scratching their head about, wait a minute, what, what, what could they possibly be uh, talking about? But there you have it. Also um, we should note, this was the day that TKO went public there on, on that photo with these giant, championship replica belts that apparently these are going to be 
uh, their new uh, postal uh, postal code signage that they can have right outside of their headquarters. We're going to get a giant WWE belt that is now displayed. So if you're ever looking like which building is WWE, this is going to help you out. If I imagine there will be one coming to Las Vegas in a, a time to be determined. Yeah, is there one going to UFC too? I don't know. If this is the same belt. I, I guess it's a it's a new st- uh, sculpture, structure, belt like structure that has uh, been constructed outside of the, the new headquarters. But yes, that that was uh, in the Stanford Ab- Advocate, uh, I think, yesterday. Yes. How look at this strategically placed ladder? I mean, I'm certain we're going to get eventually an on site uh, brawl around this thing at some point in time in, in the future. But if you're curious, like what uh, what these record revenues are going towards? I mean, this is this is step one. Yeah, yeah, it is. I tweeted last night. The, the, the trouble with, you know, having record breaking profits and having more cost efi- efficiencies than ever, not having as many employees to have to pay is you have to spend that money. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it's, that's a real point that somebody who's, uh, you know, who knows the, the financial world brought up to me once is that when you have a company that's going to be a lot more profitable than it ever was before, at least in the case of WWE, even before they were going to have a merger, um, when they were going to have, they're going to have higher rights fees, even if it's a disappointing deal. They're going to have more money and have more profitability. You know, what do you do with that extra money? How do you invest it? Um, because that apparently that, that can be a problem for other companies. It has been a problem for other companies. So also coming out of the Bloomberg conference was a sit down that Lucas Shaw did with Bill Simmons that mainly focused on sort of the state of the podcasting industry that I think many people look at, especially in the, in the you know overture of you know, sports podcasting and by extension, sports documentaries, Bill Simmons has become uh, the person I think a lot of people uh, associate with this. And he's very bullish on the podcast industry. Brandon, you can't just be a celebrity and turn on your microphone and expect that it's going to be successful. So instant celebrity does not mean success in uh, podcasting. So as as much as you and I are just simply relying on our celebrity, it's not going to be enough. Okay, no, we need to have some substance there as well. But he was also asked about the Vince. Actually, he uh, he volunteered uh, this information that he thinks the Vince McMahon documentary could be one of the best that he's ever been involved with. And, and it's happening th- after all. It is happening. Yeah, this thing had gone relatively quiet over you know these past uh, well the past year at this point, and this was uh, transcribed by the great Andrew Thompson. We have this Vince McMahon documentary we've been working on for three years. I think it has a chance to be really great. I really think it has the chance to be the best one I've been involved with. And I'll be interested to see what people think about that one because a lot of time, and it was one where Netflix still has a final cut of it, and it's a little more old school, like what the 30 for 30 model was. And I think it has a chance to be really special. Not, And then he was asked about if Vince McMahon gets to see the documentary before it comes out. And he said, uh, not the giving of notes on the final cut part. I think they get to look at clips, whatever that means. So maybe he gets like a sizzle reel of uh, the best of, and then he can tune in uh, to Netflix. That could be the bonus right there is Vince McMahon setting up his Netflix subscription, maybe giving his his thoughts on a, an ad-free model or not for Netflix and then uh, watching his own documentary. But this thing is coming out. It will be intensely uh, scrutinized and discussed. And I would venture to guess that Vince McMahon is going to do a grand total of zero interviews promoting this. That's my official bet. I would think so. Because um, when this was first announced, I thought this was going to be the Vince McMahon media tour like we saw with with The Undertaker. Um, like, I feel this this one is going to be I, – I don't think they want Vince McMahon out well, there. What incentive would he have? Does it – I guess it's you, you. You're partnering with Netflix somewhat here. Is there money going to to WWE because of this? Is there some sort of licensing that that WWE is getting out of this this deal? It's not clear, right? 
I can't um, imagine WWE is not um, involved in this. Um, I suppose. Well, remember, this was this news was broken on a W earnings call, so that makes me think. Yes, there's definitely some sort of licensing happening here. Um, you know, I, I just don't know enough about documentary filmmaking. Like, why do you need a, a W license to do this to make a documentary about Vince McMahon's life? You don't need it, but with it comes. It, what control you do give up. I mean, this is the whole discussion about various sports documentaries we're stealing. Exactly. It's here. You have access to anyone you want. The Vince McMahon documentary, uh, an approved one by WWE is going to give you all of the access, all of the you know, various footage that I think there's workarounds for that, as you can see with, with other examples, dark side of the ring, but to have, I mean, to do a whole Vince McMahon documentary without Vince McMahon, um, that that's going to require WWE cooperation and, and and you can argue like what you're looking for out of this, this, they are looking for a critical hit and Vince McMahon speaking about his career versus sort of a, a documentary where Vince is not involved in, in the process, which, yeah, so, which, which you were interviewed for one of these Vince McMahon, not this one, <laughs> not, no, not this one, but you were in, involved in a yes. separate Vince McMahon doc last year that uh, I don't believe Vince took part in. No, the vice documentary, he did not take part in that, but th- this was announced pre-scandal. I think like a year before the scandal, this was when this news was broken by Nick Khan on an earnings call. Uh, at least at the time, I think they built it as a four-part documentary. I don't know that's if that's... Right. That it sounds like this is just going to be a one-off documentary. One, He's not getting the David Beckham treatment. So it's only going to be one one episode. That's what I took from like this. Feature that, film length. Yeah, that's that was my impression from, from this latest answer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms of how critical this will be, I mean, I, I think... Bill Simmons interviews with on his podcast with, I guess, Nick Khan. I don't know if he's, he's interviewed other W people, but he's done a couple interviews with Nick Khan. And I think that probably gives you some reflection of what to expect in terms of how, how honest this is going to be. Um, he did, you know, when, when he had Nick Khan on shortly after Vince forced his way back into the company, um, he did pursue a, a, a an independent feeling line of questioning it, around certain issues, including he brought up, you know, the Rita Chatterton allegations to Nick uh, and things like that. So there's some reason to, to believe and hope that this is going to be an honest documentary. Then again, W's involved in it. So I think that that will mix it up a bit. Yeah. I mean, again, if you're looking at this as just, it's a, let's say two hour runtime max, mm-hmm. how much are the scandal is going to be part of the Vince McMahon story. Um, you know, this is going to be one of those where, I mean, you're not going to be able to, are, are they just going to try to cover as much as you can? And it's nothing too in depth on any one subject, but try to give a little on the biggest touchstones of his career. And then, you know, towards the 90 minute mark, well, there was also this, but let's not let that overshadow all the other great contributions. We all make mistakes. Yes. I mean, in, in terms of like whether people talk about this document, there's got to be new information in it, I guess. And I, I get the impression that there's going to be Vince talking head pieces in this. And is he going to say something that's really newsworthy out of it or new information coming out of it? I guess that will be one of the biggest questions to, to see whether this is something that, you know, gets a lot of people watching it for one thing on Netflix. Do you think they'll get Test to do an interview? I don't think Test is alive anymore. Oh, Bill, Bill Simmons did not know that though until recently. He's learned, but that. Nick Khan did, and that yes. was—I'm serious—of the, of the Nick Khan media appearances. That might be one of the most impressive. Instant knew that uh, off the top of his head. So uh, major points for Nick Khan on that one. Uh, but yeah, so Vince McMahon documentary. We will—I'm um, sure we'll catch it when it uh, comes out. 
John Orand had a piece on Sports Business Journal called The Media Rights Squeeze. And this did include his thoughts on uh, the WWE with its uh, announcement of SmackDown going to NBC with a 40% rights increase. But, he writes, WWE still has its top Raw package on the market, as does the UFC, which will see its current ESPN deal end in 2025. And then mentioning the NBA rights and that the negotiate the exclusive negotiating window with their incumbents, ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery, ends in the spring. And all the expectation is that there will be many um, streaming players in in the game, NBC likely kicking the tires of getting back into the NBA business and where essentially it's the NBA sorting itself out. And then all of these outlets then seeing what, what money we have to play with and how that's going to affect the rest of the sports media landscape for the years to come. And the idea that if you are a top priority, you shouldn't feel the squeeze too much, but there's definitely a uh, restraint that's going on when it comes to, the days of just throwing stupid money out there that might be reserved for the NFL only and to a degree, the NBA, but it sounds like even ESPN and Warner brothers discovery are not just writing a blank check for the ability to retain the NBA rights. Yeah. So I I've said before that I think it's going to be at least until after the NBA deal is done before W maybe even AEW deals get done. I did not realize that the exclusive negotiating window is not does not end until the spring. Um, in M- NBA's current deal, which was fu- which was announced in October 2024, we're now at the same point in that cycle um, as as we are now, and and there's no new deal. I don't know if the the negotiating window uh, exclusivity was was timed differently in that deal or what, um, but that seems like a long time to wait through the spring, say for raw to have unknown home in September, which is that, but let's say it's spring, it's May. Um, and we're looking at September and not knowing where raw is going to be. Um, so maybe it will be done, but I didn't realize it was that long of a wait before the NBA deal has to be done. Um, and as for AEW, I guess AEW would be expiring December. There's, there's debate. I, I think Dave said, said to us September, fall, 2024. It's either, either that or it's either September or December, somewhere around that range. Um, so that's a, that's a similar, you know, amount of time that would be left at that point before the, the deals are going to expire. So maybe the, these, both of these deals will be done before the NBA, or maybe you've got more of an idea of where it's going to end up by then. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I would expect still AEW to stay with WBD. No idea where, where Raw is going to end up. Um, but I was doing some, some thinking and some math earlier today to try to figure out how much I was doing a lot of math. We'll try to make it concise here. How much is, is the AEW pay-per-view content worth? If, you know, we speculate, well, maybe it'll end up on max, maybe next day rights end up on max. Uh, the, the TV deals get renewed, but if, um, if, if they're going to take that off of pay-per-view, I was doing the math to try to figure out, you know, how much money, how much money is AEW making right now on pay-per-view? And the, the answer is they're making something like on all 12, let's say, if they do 12, and do we think they're going to do 12? I think they're, they're at least, you know, whether or not you include the Ring of Honor pay-per-views, they're heading towards something like, let's say, 10 or 12 uh, per year. So I was doing this to say, you know, well, let's say they do 12 in a year and just looking at this domestically. Sorry, international fans. If if AEW pay-per-views end up on max, it probably doesn't mean anything for you. You're still going to be buying it on fight. Um, 
So figuring about 70% of the buys are domestic, let's assume, which I think is, is, is true. It's, it's pretty close to accurate, right? It's $50 per, per, uh, pay-per-view. So we get a, if they do 12, they, they go to the point where they're doing 12, we get $54 million a year gross before you split it with the carriers. Let's say the average split is about 45%, which is, which what used to be the traditional split that ends up with about $24 million going to AEW. So I think what that means is if you're going to do 12 a year, Max has got to pay you something well in excess of $24 million a year for that content. So I think the, the, the key questions are how many AEW pay-per-view buyers don't already subscribe to Max here in the United States? Um, I don't know, like, like, what do you think is a good guess on that? I said, like, maybe 50%. Like, my household, if, if those those pay-per-views go to max, I'm already a max household. Yeah, it's it's also such an interesting period where if you are AEW and you could have the belief that as we expand our pay-per-views per year, we're going to get more people in the habit of buying these shows and buys are going to, even if if the average goes somewhat lower than for a year overall we're going to be growing and i think naturally you're going to have your your growth expectation maybe further ahead than what's reality and if you're the max side you could be arguing that this is the absolute peak that you are going to hit and there's going to be a certain like over flooding of the market with your pay-per-views you could have two very competing viewpoints of what an expanded pay-per-view calendar is going to mean for aew if it is going to see a big growth per show or if you're going to see people picking and choosing at a large a larger scale and and moving from this model of five per year to what we could see as easily t- 10 if not more next year so if if i imagine i'm gunnar weidenfelds who is the uh the very economical cfo of wbd i always envision what would i be if i was <laughs> what would uh, i do Luther. yeah what would i do if i was gunnar it was, it was like re- reportedly he's the one who calls people up and and you know there there was that line in the uh, I think it was it was the Hollywood Reporter piece about WBD and David Zasloff were like oh if if, if Gunner's calling you you know you're effed uh, you know you know your show's about to get cut but anyway if if they can sit, let's say you know pay per views go to max all of them and maybe half of maybe half of the the regular pay per view buyers which is let's say on average domestically. There's like 90,000, 100,000 domestic pay-per-view buyers because we know they're doing like 130, 140, something like that. And let's say half of them are not subscribers. They become monthly subscribers because of that. Well, that's an incremental revenue for, for Max, the streaming service, on an annual basis of something like $7 million, which is well below what, what those pay-per-views would generate if they were strictly exclusively sold on pay-per-view. Um, so then I started thinking, well, may- well, maybe what if they just took the four biggest ones and separated that from the equation and just made this deal something like what, what it would be for the B pay-per-views and kept the big four or whatever, whatever you want to consider the big four, keep those big pay-per-views strictly on pay-per-view. And I still end up with you know, not, a, not enough incremental subscriber revenue going to max here. So my, my conclusion, long story short, is that I can't figure out how this deal makes sense, how it's how Max can justify giving AEW enough money to take these off of pay-per-view so that it's, it's making more money for AEW in the end. Because right, they're, they're not going to take it off of pay-per-view if you're not going to give them more money than they're making on pay-per-view otherwise, right? 
and I can't really figure out how it would make sense. And I think as as well, it's it's kind of like what, what Tony Khan mentioned in, in the in the recent uh, call with with the media of the idea like they're not going to do some some trial period here. I mean, that would just be suicide for your pay per view business if you were to try this out for a year and then it's it's not uh, absorbed or you you had to step backwards. I think that would be death for them. And I'm also curious, like, what is like obviously for AEW, it's a financial incentive if you were to. Uh, take this max model but are you i mean is it a top priority for tony khan to get onto a streaming platform versus traditional pay-per-view where you have been able to demonstrate a very healthy audience that is willing to spend x amount more uh for your pay-per-views willing to spend much more than than the price of a max subscription each month and how much more does that value you that you have this audience that is willing to spend this amount of money for something where you move to a streaming model and there's there's no coming back from this i don't believe i don't think you can you can reverse this one so it's and and we're talking about what i'm talking about here is is just the the peacock wwe model right where all the pay-per-views are part of the subscription plan right right as opposed to to the espn ESPN plus Plus upsell with with ufc Mm -hmm. um but i but i think it is important for aw to be on a streaming service because i think that the the lesson of peacock Peacock, those pay-per-views being on Peacock helped WWE pre-Vince leaving, you know, removing himself from creative or being removed from creative, whatever. That helps WWE uh, mitigate what was a popularity freefall for a number of years in a row. I think just being in, 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 in a, an increased number of homes that were cord-cutting homes or whatever, I think that really helped Peacock. It really helps WWE uh, gain its reach and mitigate its popularity decline and ultimately turn it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll bring in our guest in just one minute, but this does somewhat dovetail another big story this week. And that is, and this has been rumored for several weeks, but made official by Showtime, uh, by extension Paramount. They are getting out of mixed martial arts and boxing at the end of this year. So this will affect Bellator. This will affect all of their boxing cards. And they have been, Showtime has been broadcasting boxing for the last 37 years. And of course, Viacom, they have a ownership in Bellator, which has been long rumored to be sold. And the future of Bellator very much up in the air. And they have another show scheduled for November 17th, but there's nothing on the books beyond that. Uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, they're doing a pay-per-view at the end of November with uh, David Benavidez fighting. Uh, but this is pretty pretty seismic when it comes to boxing and just a few years after HBO got out of boxing as well as they are making the pivot to scripted programming to increase subscribers for Paramount Plus and they don't feel that combat sports is a lane they care to occupy any longer and I know this is going to bring an end probably to your Bellator fandom yes that's it that Dana White is thrilled I've heard with this news um it's going to lead to some some job cuts i understand too right definitely um, yeah but but P- paramount is is one of these companies that you know i, I don't know what's going to happen to them i think they're going to end up being consolidated with one of the bigger players or something like that we we get in terms of sports rights bidding they're they're one of the last names that gets brought up these days i know they're they're deeply involved obviously in the nfl um and in college football but and, and in uh college basketball but in terms of like you know wrestling rights certainly for one thing it's you know nobody ever thinks about well is uh mtv gonna gonna or is paramount gonna take uh wrestling again 
Yeah, this is much more, um, you know, Showtime has never really displayed that that kind of keen interest in adding pro wrestling to the portfolio. But when it comes to uh, boxing, I mean, in the heyday of uh, Mike Tyson fights, I mean, Showtime, what, what was his home for a, a long period of time? They put together with the UFC, the Floyd Mayweather Jr., Conor McGregor fight back in 2017. And they've been pretty embedded with MMA going back to Elite XC in 2007. So a very sizable story. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As is... All the the legal drama that, I mean, we just can't get enough of. And the WWE is in another one. And here to make sense of it all for us, uh, joining us uh, for the first time is Paul Lesko, who is here to break down the Panini Fanatics Wars. And Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. So, I mean, for some people that are tuning in, I'm sure they're aware of this uh, legal dispute that is going on between the WWE and Panini as best you can describe for people trying to get the Coles notes of this, what is at the the heart of the contention on the part of Panini and how this uh, this unique relationship with WWE seems to have uh, fallen apart over the last few months? Sure. So uh, what you have is Panini is the exclusive licensee uh, for making trading cards for WWE, meaning they're the only ones that can do it. They pay a premium uh, and they have this locked up for multiple years. Um, you know, in the trading card world, there's some turmoil going on because Fanatics has entered this realm and is starting to take a lot of the licenses that are out there to become the biggest trading card company that's out there. And so recently what's happened is uh, in just this August, WWE sent a letter to Panini saying, hey, um, I, we know we have this exclusive license, but you're in breach. You have not been making uh, uh, trading card games for WWE, and you also have not been making digital trading cards. So because of that, we want to end our relationship immediately and we want to give the license to Fanatics. Also, they want, uh, this is a multiple year contract that they had with Panini. They want all the money that Panini owes them over this time frame. It's like between five and six million that it paid right up, right, just right away. Panini was very, they were caught off guard uh, by this because the violations that they're accused of happened 15 months ago. And during this time frame, WWE never said anything about it until they got the termination letter and said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to go to Fanatics. So both sides ended up suing each other. Panini sued WWE saying, hey, judge, we need you to say that this contract is still valid. We haven't done anything wrong. And if we've done anything wrong, WWE took so long to tell us we're in breach. They basically you know, legally forgive it. And WWE says, uh, no, they're in breach. They were supposed to do two product lines that aren't out there. 
Those aren't curable. You can't fix that. And right now, uh, because Panini isn't who we've chosen to be our licensee, basically they're running rogue with our IP. They're making cards. We don't want them doing it. We need you, Judge, to actually end this relationship. Tell them to stop doing it. And uh, WWE threw out the first uh, big punch, too. They tried to get a what's called a temporary restraining order. They wanted the judge to say, you know, normally you wait till the end of the case to win. They're saying, Judge, our case is so strong. Tell Panini we win now and shut them down right now. The judges, we don't know why. It was on uh, during live at the at the actual hearing, denied uh, WWE's uh, TRO motion. Uh, so at least for now, Panini can continue to make WWE cards. But WWE now has filed what's called a preliminary injunction motion to try to seek to shut down the cards again before they win the lawsuit. But that'll take a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit slow of a process, but still. Should WWE win this time, they'll shut down trading cards from Panini by the end of this year. Yeah, so when I was trying to learn about this case, I, I've, you know, I've read that Panini is involved in quite a few lawsuits uh, with fanatics. Um, and it seems like a lot of licensees, right, are, are, are leaving Panini, like uh, the NFLPA. I know there's there's talk of the uh, in, in this lawsuit, there's mentioning that the NBA rights are leaving them soon. So and I, and I know as, as part of this lawsuit as well, it's mentioned that Panini was looked like it was going to get into a merger with Fanatics, but then that fell apart. So I, I, I honestly ha- just have some some naivete around like what exactly is going on with Panini. It sounds like their their company is being turned upside down. It is a crazy time in uh, trading cards right now. So when uh, before Fanatics entered the field, Panini was the big company that was out there. They had the NBA rights, both from the league and from the players locked up for multiple years. They had uh, for the NFL, they had players rights and they also had the uh, league locked up. Uh, and they had WWE. They were the big card producer that was out there. So then Fanatics comes in, buys tops. And soon after they buy tops, which got them the rights to baseball, they then somehow got uh, the future rights for the NFL and for the NBA immediately after Panini's contracts end in either 2025 or 2026, depending on what contracts you are. So basically, Fanatics is going to come in and replace Panini for all intents and purposes in trading cards. And that's what's given rise to a lot of lawsuits because Panini has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Fanatics saying, hey, they're now this unlawful monopoly. They're going to own all the licenses. They're going to make all the trading cards. There's no room for little companies like us, even though Panini's had exclusive licenses for quite a long time. Uh, Panini's also suing Fanatics because Fanatics, uh, at least 35 employees left Panini to go to Fanatics. And Panini saying that those employees were stolen. So that's another lawsuit that's going on. Uh, the NFLPA, like WWE, wants to get out of their license with Panini also. So there's an arbitration, which unfortunately takes place in secret. So we don't know what's going on there. But that's another kind of situation similar to the WWE, where they are actually saying, hey, we want to go to Fanatics also. But, you know, but we have to, you know, have the judge or the arbitrator here rule in our favor. And so there's just, if you can imagine, just nuclear missiles flying back and forth all over the place. Uh, it's Panini's really fighting for its life and Fanatics is fighting to be the next big dog out there. Yeah. And with the NBA PA, uh, they're trying to get out of their deal. It's for a different reason though, 
than than WWE uh, is trying to get out of there. WWE is saying, I think, as you mentioned, right, that they they didn't create the the physical trading cards and the uh, the trading card games, the digital trading cards and the trading card games that they were supposed to according to the contract. Um, but but NFL has a different reason. Would you remind us what that is? Yeah, so the NFLPA, they're trying to get out of their contract uh, saying that there's been a change in control at Panini. And normally we haven't been able to see the license agreement between the NFLPA and Panini because, you know, companies keep all their contracts as secret as they can. But normally you have what's called a change of control provision in there, where if, you know, a certain amount of your board turns over or if a certain number of employees leave, or sometimes you say, if the people that are in charge of my product line, if they leave, then you're in breach and we have the option to uh, terminate our contract. That's the provision that it looks like the NFLPA is proceeding under. So they're not saying that WWE or they're not saying that Panini hasn't made all the cards that they need to. They're saying that we're worried the fact that you've lost 35 employees. You've lost some important employees, including those that handled our accounts, and therefore we should be out. And that's a similar issue. It's a side issue to what WWE said, because they noted in their most recent filing that they used to have four employees at Panini that handled their accounts. And they had, you know, at least one of them had 12 years experience working with, uh, you know, in this field. Three of them left. And now the sole person that's working that account, according to the WWE, is somebody who's been out of school for a year and already seen this poor guy. Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. (laughs) 21 year old who's stuck with the WWE account. Yes. I mean, good, good for him. That's going to look great on the resume, but you know, not necessarily good for their business relationship. I think like a LinkedIn generated resume is an exhibit to a lawsuit too, because (laughs) there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So what, what's the status of Panini's suit against Fanatics? Like you could certainly look at this like WWE had announced when they last year with the Fanatics deal, like Panini's essentially a lame duck deal because as soon as this deals up with Panini, we're planning to take our business over there. You mentioned these employees leaving for Fanatics from Panini. Like certainly there, there seems to be some argument here about predatory practices, but what is the state of their suit with Fanatics? So uh, the the main there, there's three actual lawsuits between Panini and Fanatics that are going back and forth. There's the alleged theft of employees. Fanatics sued Panini for unfair competition, and then there's the antitrust lawsuit. And uh, antitrust lawsuits take forever. Uh, the, both sides exchanged uh, proposed schedules or filed proposed schedules with the judge today. And at the earliest, that antitrust lawsuit will be over uh, in November of 2025. That's the earliest it'll be over. So, you know, when you're trying to figure out like the dominoes, what's going to fall to first and happen? Well, probably the NFLPA uh, action with Panini will fall first. The WWE action with uh, uh, Panini will fall second. And then a couple of years later, well, the antitrust case will resolve itself. And I think that's the interesting thing for you know anybody who's following all this litigation for the trading cards, whoever wins the NFLPA uh, uh, case with Panini and whoever wins the WWE case with Panini, both sides, you know, Fanatics will be pointing if Panini loses, if Panini wins, they'll be pointing that as to why there's been antitrust. So it's a complicated web. All these cases should, 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 should be in front of the same judge because there's so many related issues. And they're not. Luckily, the uh, parties in the WWE and Panini case, even though they had two separate lawsuits, Panini actually sued WWE first and then WWE sued Panini in the same day. They've agreed they're going to consolidate their cases in front of they've already been in front of the same judge, but they are two different cases. But now they will be one case there. But 
it's a mess where anything could happen to any of these cases and they all affect each other. And like, do, do you get a sense of like what is really motivating WB in this case? They're not alleging, unless I'm wrong, they're not alleging that Panini has not paid them on the deal or anything. Um, I, I almost get the sense that they're, they're kind of copying the NFL's homework here. If, you know, if the NFL can get out of their deal, I suppose that they're being offered something better by fanatics. I think, um, you know, I always like to just work by what the court documents say. And in cases like this, they keep, uh, there are some things that are filed under seal, but the WWE, what they've said is they're, con- they're concerned about the future of Panini. They've already lost a bunch of employees. They're losing certain licenses. They're worried about the viability of Panini to continue to handle the account. They're not, there are no complaints about how WWE or Panini has handled the account to date. In fact, Panini points out, Hey, we tripled your revenue from the last licensee. You've done nothing but compliment what we've done. So it's more of a, hey, we're really worried about the future. And WWE did point out that there have been some late payments or later payments than they would like, which has affected uh, like autographs. You know, you have a certain amount of uh, money that uh, gets paid for autographs that are signed. And then that money goes directly to the talent. They get that money. And because of the turnover with employees at Panini, there's been a delay in getting that money to the talent. And the WWE says, hey, some of the, you know, some of these late payments we're making to our, you know, our wrestling, our people, it's not good for our relationship. So that's why we want out. We want predictability. We want reliability. And we already said in the future, we're going to work with fanatics. Let's just start doing that right now. Yeah. And it would look on the surface that this would seem like a pretty untenable relationship to continue. But from all indications, Panini is more than willing like and probably for just self-preservation at this point that this wwe account is sizable enough that they will go through whatever rough waters this has created to see the end of this deal yeah and and not only that uh but i think the judge uh, we've got a limited part of the transcript was released from the temporary restraining order hearing and in there the judge noted and said hey i'm not seeing any complaints about quality uh, of the cards or of what's being released here. So this isn't the example where Panini's going rogue and just using your intellectual property incorrectly. They're still making you money. And so that's kind of an important, you know, thought process that we're seeing because in order to get a temporary restraining order, you have to show that you're being irreparably harmed. You're being harmed some way that, you know, money can't make you whole. And, you know, the judge is saying, Hey, I'm, you know, these guys want to do your work. They're doing a good job for you. You just think in the future they're not going to be able to do it. So why should I rule now? Let's go through the whole case, and then I'll rule later. So it'll be very interesting to see how the preliminary, the preliminary injunction hearing goes, uh, see where the judge's head is. WWE has more arguments. I think ultimately WWE wins this case. But the real, but is it going to be in two years or will it be in two months? That's really the focus. And, and if you know WWE wins in two years, well, Panini has won too. Their contract's over. So you, you kind of see this next hearing is the most important hearing in the case. Yeah, is there a pretty good chance that this will end up in a settlement? Uh, 90% of cases don't go to trial. Uh, most of them uh, end in settlement. And I think at some point there's probably going to be a huge global settlement where Panini di- gives its licenses to Fanatics. Then Fanatics runs from there. There's probably a pay, you know, they're going to get paid by fanatics paying panini we won't know any of the conditions this, this would be panini getting paid in a yes. sense yeah so it, you know looking at the antitrust lawsuit apparently uh fanatics had a deal worked out with panini where panini was going to sell them 
the exclusive licenses for the NFL, for the NBA, and you know, p- quite possibly for WWE. So there was a business deal that was in the works. And W and Panini actually talked to WWE about, hey, can we amend our contract so that Panini, so that Fanatics can buy us out and the Fanatics can actually take over the license. So there is a chance that, you know, once cooler heads prevail, I mean, someone has to start losing some motions first. Everybody's pretty angry at this point, but there might be a deal where Fanatics pays Panini. Panini gives up the licenses, goes away, and then Fanatics does what it's supposed to be doing in 2025 and 2026, just two years earlier. And do we have a date for the next hearing that's coming up? So we don't know the date yet uh, for the hearing. The uh, We're going to have uh, the parties are going to send a letter to the court, I think, next week, explaining when they think a hearing will be. But you're probably looking at three weeks to four weeks for a hearing. All right. Well, Paul, I want to thank you very much for uh, enlightening us on the on the status of this uh, this ongoing uh, legal dispute between WWE and, and Panini. And uh, as the uh, as the drama continues, uh, maybe we can have you on uh, back some sometime to uh, chat about this because it's, it's a really interesting case for, from both sides. I feel there's like a 30 for 30 documentary. That would be great. That'd be great. And, uh, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this. And, and Paul is tweeting about this case all the time. If you want to stay up with what, the, what is the latest news on this? Yes, yeah, if you Paul. just, I'm, I'm always on Twitter. Anytime there's any new filings, not just for this case, but for any case that involves trading cards, I like to translate the legal filings. So you can fo- you can follow me at, at Paul underscore Lesko on Twitter. Thanks a lot, Paul. We appreciate the time. No, thanks for having me on. Bye, guys. All right, Paul Lesko, everyone. You can follow him. Uh, Paul underscore Lesko, L-E-S-K-O. And didn't even mention it there. The other interesting wrinkle in all of this is that Panini is also in business with the UFC for their trading cards on, on top of it. Yes. So um, I haven't heard any complaints from UFC. <laughs> like, we're, we're doing no. fine here. So anyway. stay, stay tuned to Darren Ravel's uh, Twitter to see if there's any announcements on that. Yeah, The uh, the trading card industry is something I find fascinating. It, it was when they first announced the Panini deal. You do remember they were making that initial effort on like their NFTs and such. And those have extremely... Like, I don't hear any mention of that by WWE anymore in terms of something they were mar- marketing actively. But I'm I'm so behind on the NFT market. It sounds like it's something that is uh, come and gone. Is it safe I, to say? I think, uh, I think most NFTs are, are close to valueless at this point. Stunning. Like, not something I could have foreseen at all when, yes. when the craze was, was beginning for the time it had. All right. We have a few more topics here. And if you want to get in a super chat, you're welcome to do so. We do have one here from, from Jamie Stalker who uh, sends in the super chat. Thank you, Jamie. As a card collector, this is such an interesting time. Panini have provided a different audience into the hobby uh, market. Uh, example, uh, breakers and some record-breaking card sales. Uh, AEW and Upper Deck have an open market right now. Yes, that is AEW's uh, trading card partner, uh, Upper Deck uh, as well. So everyone has their trading card partners. This is, um, by my admission, this is an area I'm not a expert on, but it's, I mean, the the trading card market has exploded over the last uh, number of years. And I know there's, there's a lot of uh, money at stake for for these these card companies physical trading cards not not digital trading cards um it, dude i th- i think that there's like a total like nostalgia of like traditional trading cards on top of it were you ever a, a card collector of any sort i had a lot of nfl trading cards i had a, f- a few binders i think i the last time i moved well a couple times ago when i moved i i think i like gave them all away to, like not like early 90s nfl trading cards i like gave them all the way all the way to a thrift store so I, I posted a, a, a an image of this, but I was I was away with my family this week, and we I wandered into this like very old like 
used bookstore with my son. And there I see this like stack of these old wrestling magazines. So I take a look at them and I find this, this ring wrestling magazine from 1964. And I just take a look at it and I just, how much is this? Like five bucks, five bucks. This thing is amazing, dude. Like the editorial. That what what you posted the other day. Yes. Yes. They've got like an in-character feature on Gorilla Monsoon, rankings, uh, the history of the cauliflower ear, how to diagnose it. I mean, it's really something fascinating to uh, to, to look at, but I, I am not typically a uh, a magazine purchaser, but this was uh, too good to be true for five bucks. So that was my big, big expense this week. Moving on. Uh, we also wanted to, uh, actually, this is a question I had for you and I didn't put on the rundown. So I'm throwing uh, this at, at Brandon Blind. But this coming Saturday, it is Impact Bound for Glory. And here we are, as Impact is now 21 years old, uh, they will be holding their pay-per-view. And my question to you is, where is Impact Wrestling after 21 years and its place within the pro wrestling landscape like it's this very odd area that it that it holds in the company that i think many many companies would not have survived the tumultuous waters that this company has navigated not just once but multiple times in its history that you felt they were near death and here they are under what seems to be pretty secure ownership but what what place does an impact hold as we go into this uh their their annual big show of the year it's weird like i remember when the nwa started and Part of the reason why they wanted to use the NWA brand and why they, you know, spent I don't know, probably a few hundred thousand dollars to buy it was that it was a brand that people recognized rather than starting out with something new. And in Impact, despite having rebranded itself, it used to be total nonstop action. It's, it, I think, a lot of its relevancy. It, it, it would be a lot harder for it to get as much attention as even it still does without that legacy behind it. Um, but in a lot of ways, I, I, I look at you know what's on what's on the shows and it's like wow this is like a you know a border city wrestling show all grown up border city wrestling all grown up that's not the (laughs) the first tagline there yeah it's yeah it's just a company that i mean there's there's a fascinating story about the history of this company and where it is now and i can't say that that history of this company it's necessarily a feel-good story i mean the fact that it's it's around and there are places for people to work i think are great I also look at the opportunities it had when we look at what Spike TV was in its heyday. And that was one of its, you know, key programming partners was, was TNA impact wrestling and, you know, sort of what, what was lost or what, what opportunities were missed um, that led to them spiraling out of control, but here they are. And thankfully they found uh, an outlet that was willing to absorb whatever losses they had and keep them going and able to get out of like, when Anthem first bought this company, like there was such a negative taint on this company. And I do feel they have been able to absolve themselves of that negative, that negativity, but they're also at a place where I think their, their relevance is low, but it's at a time when those that do watch impact, like you typically hear positive things. It's just, it's a small number of people that are following this. Going head to head with collision. Is that right? That's right. They will be going head to head with Collision on Saturday night, which um, after the one week at 8 p.m., they were back. So anyone that uh, tuned in last week, you had the heads up from Brandon that Collision might be at 8 p.m. I still do not quite understand how that worked out, where the way an MLB game turned out affected a program on TNT that would not have been carrying this MLB game, but somehow it affected their airing of Collision Terror Date. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, and they, they even advertised it on Dynamite, 7 o'clock start, but no, mm-hmm. it's still 8. Well, the result was 504,000 viewers this past Saturday, a 0.14 in the demo, um, way up from the previous two weeks, which went again, a, a, an NXT PLE and WWE fast lane. Uh, this was for Brian Danielson and Christian Cage in the main event. And I would say this is, this is a number that it, it I mean, it was up. It was against a big football game. And I do wonder if there was confusion from people about when this was starting. What were, um, yeah, any of your conclusions based? off of this number. I mean, this was a weird one where Wednesday or Tuesday, I should say on dynamite there, they were promoting one time slot when it ended up being another. Yeah. I mean, they were going against, uh, they're coming off of two weeks where they're going at WPLEs and it had better be a a lot better than it was in the prior two weeks. And it was, um, does it make that much of a difference that it was originally scheduled at or originally advertised at seven and, and, and ended up being at eight. I don't know. It's the normal time slot. I imagine the, the difference is minimal. Um, and then like, as far as what this show is doing now, it's doing like just on the cusp, I think of what it needs to do to have a significant value add to whatever AEW's next TV deal is, which is, you know, I think it did, did, did rampage also do a, a, a 0.14, uh, yes. the night before. Yeah. So, rampage 407,000 viewers. So much lower by almost a hundred thousand viewers, but a 0.14 in the demo, they actually just edged out collision in the demo 188 to 185 yeah despite a 100,000 viewer difference between rampage and collision so yeah. so i mean it does tell you there is a well i i did i i would say a a, a younger audience but in some cases uh rampage had a larger uh, at least among larger uh younger women i should say uh outranking uh collision yeah it's i think this is relatively like the range we're going to see i don't know how many weeks you're going to have a gigantic marquee match not that danielson and christian is the biggest match you can put on television but i would say it's it's above the the level of a typical collision main event that you're going to have and definitely you can look at uh brandon's quarter hours here it was a difference maker in terms of what people were interested in and the fact that you also got the collision overrun they're starting to fall in love with these overruns yeah it seems like something that they get for just about every dynamite and, and collision now um but yeah the um and and that rampage, by the way, probably was helped by the fact that it was going on after an NBA preseason game. Um, so maybe that enhanced what what that rating was in terms of it being so close to collision. But yeah, this this main event between Christy and Cage is like it's, it's like burned in my head. I can he seems to be all my knowledge of McGinnis seems to be always calling Christy, Christy yeah. and Cage matches. But anyway, um, this did well for for the quarter hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at the the demo, it, the first half of the match fell in the demo by 12%. Uh, I don't know how to read that, but the, but it was up both in total viewership and in the demo uh, for the last half of of the match, which was the last full quarter of the show. Um, if you rule out the, the first quarter, which may have benefited from, I don't know, probably the movie or whatever was on right before it, um, that is the peak for the demo and the peak for total viewership. It was definitely the peak for total viewership regardless. So I know the reaction to this was that if you put a great wrestling match on between, you know, two guys who are having a really good, good match and technical match with, with the basics and it wasn't a car crash match that it can keep viewers sucked in. And it, and it did. 
The season premiere of Raw on Monday night, 1,483,000 viewers, 0.44 in the demo. So they were down 5% in viewers, but in all of their younger demographics, they were up, not by an appreciable amount, but they were up 4% in the 18 to 49 demo, up 6% in 18 to 34. And this was going up against a pretty big Monday night game involving the Dallas Cowboys, uh, which was airing on ABC and ESPN. ESPN and the ESPN Deportes with an extra 85,000 viewers. Can't, can't um, discount those 85,000. Yeah, but the, the Cowboys, I, I did a study like a couple of years ago to look at every team and, and you know, is there... Who's a draw? Which, which NFL team on Monday nights had the best average? And I think it was the Cowboys. Um, but I, I, that that is something that is known, apparently, in sports media. That the Cowboys uh, do good ratings. Um, but this was like, some of these numbers compared to the last four weeks are just zero. Uh, so, pretty typical number of what... Uh, Raw has been doing uh, on Monday nights against Monday Night Football. Uh, the year-over-year comparisons, though, are are down substantially. And I probably have them here in terms of like since the middle of August or early August, somewhere around there. The year-over-year comparisons for Raw have started to become negative. And in fact, in total viewership, I guess you look at it, it's it's been negative for a number of months in a row now. Um, whereas SmackDown's still doing pretty strong in its year-over-year comparison. SmackDown's ratings compared to the prior year even, even in comparing the Paul Levesque era to the Paul Levesque era, if, if you will, SmackDown's still improving. Um, I suppose it helps you got John Cena on the show and you had Roman Reigns on the show uh, this past Friday. But Raw is really showing signs of, you know, sort of being, it may, maybe you want to, you know, say there's a, there's a certain adjustment that you should make because, cord cutting is happening and people are watching TV less. Um, but nonetheless, it's raw is not doing as well as SmackDown is. And on a relative basis, certainly not doing as well as NXT is. The question that every fan just wants to know is what, what is the level that requires the call to fill? That's, that's what they want to know. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Um, I think you guys talked about it that you, you don't, you don't need to, to grab him up right away, right? It probably probably pays. It probably saves you something to uh, to wait in terms of how much you would have to pay him, and it's 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 probably the right thing psychologically to not bring him in right away if you don't want to have the same problems that AEW dealt with. Do you have any differing opinions now that we've had a couple weeks where almost three weeks into Adam Copeland being a regular on AEW programming? Like, do you have any thoughts like one way or the other about how this has worked? I I will say like just looking at the Canadian numbers, like he's not like exploding numbers, but there's been a a recognizable uh, difference that, that he has made there. And we've had a few examples now of him in, in key segments. And I guess just, this short of a time in, like, do you, are, are you able to, you know, make a determination on what kind of an investment this has been bringing in an Adam Copeland, who like my argument is, is just like, it is someone that again, he's, he's turning 50 next week. Like there's, is he? he's Christian is turning 50 next month. Like you are going to have, and that whether it's good or bad, like that is your number one, if not number two program in the company now is edge against Christian. And I think it's fine to have, some of those figures in there, I guess the balance is how many of those figures do you have prominently featured on your programming? Yeah. I mean, he's in terms of a ticket draw, I mean, AEW is still having the issues it's having with selling tickets. Um, I understand Mystico has popped a house for, for tonight. Uh, in, in he's Texas. the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. Only so 40. maybe, they, maybe they need to sign Mystico and, and run uh, more of the Southwest. Yeah. Um, but the, the Cubs fan, he was, he was the guy that, you know, Everyone needs to be listening to maybe Tony Khan. I would think he is listening to uh, the, the thoughts of the Cubs fan. He definitely is. He said so. Yeah. Um, I, I think 
this is getting more, more to a, to sort of a next level TNA in terms of the, the number of people that they have here who used to be in WWE and used to be fairly big stars in WWE. Um, in terms of metrics, I can, I can say, wow, these, some of these YouTube videos for his early run here have done really strongly. And what does that indicate something? It indicates something. Um, and these are, you know, YouTube videos are global. It's not just the U S um, some of his quarter hours have done well too. Um, I, th- I think like in terms of a brand though, this is, it's, it's becoming more and more removed from what I thought AEW was going to be at the beginning in terms of being this alternative brand that was going to be different from WWE in a lot of ways. And it's, you can make an argument that well, they, we need to appeal to the masses here. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of people who used to be in, in WWE. I was just seeing something that, that Tony was tweeting uh, earlier about, you know, just, just hyping up dynamite and like it was, it was edge and someone else from WWE and someone else from WWE who was, was being uh, hyped. Yeah. I, I go back to that 98 period and not like I've, I've said this before, but I think one of the, like Austin and rock, I feel that they were going to break through and become major stars, but how much was the laneway cleared by not having yeah. your Bretts and Sean's in their way and your audience seeing that transition in real time where those figures are still present on the show. Instead, that 1998 period was one of young stars that had not been pushed as main eventers before. So we were watching these people in real time ascending to these levels. And it, if you remember, like that year, Hogan's contract was up with WCW. They had flirtations of bringing Ultimate Warrior in. How different is 98 if you throw in, if a Nash had stuck around, if a Hall had stuck around, if a Hogan is in there? It's a totally different dynamic as opposed to... Or if to, they had hired somebody who was 50 years old in 1998, who would that even be, like Bruno San Martino or something? <laughs> that's it. I mean, yeah, like Pedro Morales did not fit in the Attitude Era. And I look at AEW and... Like I can make individual cases on why you want to have a sting, why you want to have an edge, why you want to have a Christian. I have a harder time making a concerted argument for all of them to be there. And like you just take a name off the WWE roster and AJ Styles. If AJ Styles became available tomorrow, I think Tony Khan is taking him in a heartbeat. And again, it goes to the question of like, it's not so much like, who fits in AEW, like who doesn't fit in AEW. And it seems to be that if you are uh, of that era, like you are like, that would be another star. I, I I think they would grab an AJ Styles in, in a second. And again, it's a lot of these performers too, that with the price tag that they come with, like they're going to require big programs, lots of television time. And then you get scenes like collision. That wasn't the biggest deal in the world, but nonetheless, it's here is your guy, your WWE franchise player and an edge that's come in. And I mean, it's here's the vanilla midget rock lookalike that's in the ring. And it, it was just such a dismissive line. But I think to some fans, they're going to take that as more of a, here's the big WWE guy coming in. And this is their thought of like a quote unquote homegrown uh, act in a Ricky Starks. Yeah. To, to be fair. Bruno Sammartino in 1998 would have been 63. So maybe that's an exaggeration. Still could have gone. I, I think. Yeah. He, he could go to uh, superstar Billy Graham or something. Uh, Bob Backlund. Um, but yeah, it's, you, know, it, you were talking about the code conference earlier. There was somebody, who, I forget his name, John something, who runs a, um, John Lovett, who runs a podcasting business. He was talking about how it's just harder to break through now. I think there was something, something that happened in so, somewhere around 2010 or something like that. And when, when, Maybe around the time that smartphones got in everybody po- everybody's pocket and streaming media became available widely, that makes it harder to become a star than than before. 
um, that is probably offsetting the point I think that that we're making here in that if if more established names are just out of the way, maybe that would motivate AEW to you know create new fresh stars and new fresh stars are almost always what's associated with these increases in business, whether it's Hogan in 84 and whether it's Okada in, in 2012 more recently. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I can, I guess that, that that's cutting it close Okada in, in, in 2012. Uh, but yeah, Okada I don't just squeezed through the, the last star. Yeah. And it's a different, different country and different culture maybe, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a. Uh, I, I think, you know, if, if AEW is going to become a lot more popular than it, than it is, it's probably going to be on the backs of um, new, fresh stars. But there's something different in this era compared to any other era historically in that it's there's just lasting value to the edges of the world more so than there was to the Bob Backlands uh, in, in, you know, 20 years ago. So that they do have lasting value and it helps that they are taking care of their bodies better so they do physically last longer. Um but it's, it's something that you really have to manage. And I think it's really attractive to get these stars in who have really strong name value, um, who can still perform well, um, and, and balance that against creating a new slew of talent that's going to take you through the next 20 years. Tonight's The name of the segment tonight is the Rated R Rebuttal from Adam Copeland to Christian Cage. The Rated R Rebuttal. So I don't know what yeah. he's going to be doing. Edge versus Christian. Well, alert the censors for uh, tonight's segment. Uh, before we uh, before we tee up next week's show, which is uh, going to be a, a very fun show that we have to uh, tell everybody about, one final note I have for you, Brandon, from Touring Data, who notes, Oh, The weekend earned his most attended concert of all time, August 18th, 2023, with 89,179 tickets sold at Wembley Stadium in London as part of the After Hours Till Dawn tour. It's probably for Full Star. 89,179. So, how would that compare to the announcement of, uh, of paid attendees, uh, 81,035? Um, what kind of stage did the week did the weekend have? We'd have to evaluate all those things. What does the Brent Council have to say about this number? That's we could ask them. They would they probably sh- tell us. They probably would. And I I wonder what the uh, the Venn diagram is of people that attended both shows because I can confirm too with uh, Davy Portman and Braden Harrington that attended both the weekend and All In. Yeah, I'm just looking at in our uh, the weekend. Yeah, it is in there. It is in Polestar. So that's where he got that from. Um, oh, that's that is that uh, correlates to the number from Polestar. Yeah, nine point two five million dollars US uh, was the gross that that Polestar has for it. Will he get a tattoo? Is the question I want to know. And when's the, the safe weekend time to get a tattoo? The weekend is a person. It's a, it's a single. Yes. Per- it's not a band. Okay, yeah, the weekend. Canada's own Toronto, Clearly. really Scarborough's own. You know, next oh, to Wei Ting, the biggest really? Scarborough native. Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, next week, uh, it is Hall of Fame season. Uh, The Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, The ballots are out. How many Uh, ballots did you get? Three. Same. (laughs) (laughs) There were a few uh, updates uh, throughout. Some new rules to go through. Uh, We will bring everyone up to speed on that. Um, So next week, we're going to go over, I think, I'm going to reveal my ballot next week. I don't don't know, Brandon, if you'll have your your voting uh, 
the deadline is until November 8th, but uh, I'm going to try and have my picks by next week. Uh, so we are going to go through, we won't be able to go through every candidate. Uh, we'll probably focus on a, a couple of the areas and some of the more interesting additions to uh, this year's one. I can't what categories see there are you voting in? Um, I am going to be voting in. Let's just uh, pull this up here. So the, the categories, I, I vote in the, the historical uh, candidates era. I think I'm um, going to abstain from that category this year. I think I'm only going to vote in U.S., Canada, and Japan, and I, I don't not- vote in Mexico, and I don't vote yeah. in the, in the European section. Um, there's also a maximum this year for each category, as high as you can go. So it's not an unlimited for the non wrestlers category. So uh, we'll go over all the criteria uh, next week. But I think this is going to be a pretty quiet year because they've added the young bucks uh, to the ballot. So I can't imagine there being too much uh, apprehension or no. uh, negativity uh, towards uh, Roman Reigns is on the ballot here. Roman Reigns is on the ballot. Punk is on the ballot. So- sounds like Roman Reigns got a pretty strong endorsement from Dave the other day. Um, will that make a difference? Yes. <laughs> the endorsement. It's like the, the New York times editorial. It's, it's, it's okay to, to feel this way now. Yeah. So next week joining us to go over the observer hall of fame will be for the first time. You might know him as Alan Forel. Alan Cunahan will be on the show with us, a uh, a celebrity when it comes to these online professional wrestling, uh, the coverage of professional wrestling's history. Alan Farrell uh, joining us. So uh, the man is is not just studying; he is going to a physical library to yes. deduce who who makes it onto the Alan Farrell ballot. With the story of what he's what he's going to a library for, what what he's uh, researching at the library as it relates to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Maybe he's uh he's gonna go pull out those uh, those Jack Pfeffer files and, and go through the uh the history of the industry. Um, I look forward to having Alan Forel on. Al- Alan is someone that w- when I have been like on the cusp of certain candidates, especially in the Japanese category, he is one of the people I've leaned on. Be like, convince me of this person. Like, what what is what what am I missing on on this person? So I think Alan will be a great guest next week. I've never never done a show with Alan before. Never, really. Never. No, we've actually uh, joked about this. The fact we've never done a show together, so we'd have to find out a great reason to do one. And I think this is it. I I don't think I've ever done one either, so it'll be a first for both of us. I've met him. I know the man exists, so we can confirm that much. So there you go. Uh, Looking forward to that next week. And coming up this Sunday, it is WrestleNomics Radio with Brandon Thurston, Chris Gullo, and Jesse Collings. So patreon.com slash WrestleNomics is where you can go every Sunday. 11 a.m. Eastern. And yes. Brandon, this is a patron only show uh, because it will be uh, two weeks until your next free show. That's well, well, wait a minute. How many Sundays are left? There's you, uh, you've there's, got two. There's two more Sundays. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Chris Gull is way camping or something. So he camping. Yes, I think so. In a um, covert. Brave. Yes. You, did you see that the, the, they're no longer patrons? They're members now. Oh my goodness. So Way sent me this video this morning that he told me I have to watch called The Rise and Fall of Patreon. And that is not the title of a video I want to see. Patreon uh, is great. What are you talking about? I, I hope so for, for my, my well being. I, I, I hope it is. So, uh, he also added, I, I, I do not have any immediate concerns. That's what Way said. So anyway, okay. I'll, I'll watch this video and report back. Yay to Patreon. Where you can go and support patreon.com slash post wrestling and patreon.com slash WrestleNomics that help us bring you shows such as this one on a weekly basis. Uh, so give Brandon a follow. We have NXT numbers that are dropping. Anything, uh, any, anything to report on the uh, NXT ratings front uh, before um, we bid everyone farewell? 798,000 viewers for NXT okay. and a 0.23 in the demo. 
So last week was a 0.30, so down a bit. And last week was what over 900,000 viewers. I can't remember the exact number. So uh, a dip, but I would say still a, a healthy number for NXT on a Tuesday that would have been going up against Major League Baseball playoffs. Yeah, they did 921 last week against AEW with, with all the stars. Um, the week before that, they did 857 again this week doing nine, or I'm sorry, doing seven. 98. So back to the normal level. I would say the demo is, it, it did a 0.22 two weeks ago. It did a 0.3, a 0.23 this week. Will we get any tweets from any rival wrestling promoters about this week's rating? I hope not. I think, I think, uh, I think uh, that that issue has been fully litigated. I look forward to the next week of X drama, uh, but that's going to wrap it up uh, for Brandon Thurston. I am John Pollock. A big thank you to our guest, uh, Paul Lesko for joining us. You can go follow him for all the latest on the comings and goings of WWE and Panini. What's, what's your expectation, Brandon? How long does this thing last? I'm, I'm going to give it, I think it ends be, uh, first quarter, 2024 quiet, uh, quiet settlement that uh, Panini gives you a boilerplate statement on and WWE ignores your request for comment. That's my prediction. I mean, that's probably, well, of course that, uh, they, they, uh, probably this is a a lever to like make us give you some money to make you make us give Panini some money to make this, uh, go away so we can go do what we want to do. Yeah. With fanatics. Okay. So that's the latest. You're now all up to date on Ari Emanuel, Vince McMahon documentaries, the trading card front, you're going to sound so wise to your pro wrestling friends when you bring up panini the next time uh, you are all talking about this subject. More than just a sandwich. That's it. A lot of a lot of uh, knowledge being dispensed over the past hour. So thanks to everyone for joining us. And uh, tune in tonight, Rewind to Dynamite, 10 Eastern, with myself and Mr. Wei Ting here on the Post YouTube channel. And that's it for us. Goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.